Yeah, it's 2.15 at Sports Radio 1310, the ticket, 96.7 FM. The hard line will be here at uh, 3 for a little white today. Doesn't suck. Round tables. It's a deep Eddie Vodka summer bash at Sneaky Pete's right off 35 at Lake Louisville. Come join us. It is starting to uh, really get cranking the time wasters a little bit later. So uh, good times. All right, we have a new project here on our little show. It's uh, We just turned 15 years old uh, a week ago, and uh, we kind of wanted to do something for uh, the 15-year landmark, which is called 15 for 15. These are little uh, radio mentories. What would you call them, Dan? Radio stories of our 15 years and yeah. how things got behind from the, point A to point B. Behind the music-y. Yes, yes. So, we could offer you a bunch of setup where we could play the audio and then come back and talk about it. We choose B, and uh, check out this masterpiece. What if I told you that one phone call 15 years ago affected the lives of so many people? When I, when I first got the job here, I wasn't nice and, and congenial to you guys. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't think you were. <laughs> I mean, you came in with this kind of cockiness, uh, boy, I'm going to turn this town on its ear kind of idea, and this, okay. What happened? Why? And what became of the participants? Welcome to part one of a special series, Bad Radio 15 for 15, Rocco versus Gordo on the Rant. The year was 1999. Sports Radio 1310 The Ticket has been on the air for five years. The lineup consists of the Musers, George Dunham, Craig Miller, and Gordon Keith in Morning Drive, Chris Arnold, 10 to noon, Rocco Pendola, Middays, noon to 3, The Hardline, Mike Reiner and Greg Williams, Afternoons, 3 to 7, and Bob Sturm, Nights, 8 to 11. The lineup had been this way for about a year now, and the ratings started to show just how successful an all-sports talk station could be in Dallas-Fort Worth. The three members of the morning show and the two hosts of the Hardline have been with the ticket since day one, developing a bond that allowed them to be a very tight-knit group, making it a little difficult for outsiders to come in and smoothly transition without taking on a little hazing. Now add into the mix a brash, loud-talking, 22-year-old Northeasterner, and something bad was bound to happen. Gordon Keith elaborates. I think that we had a very much a bunker mentality, and the five of us certainly had that feeling of starting a station and being with it the whole time. I mean, it's hard to to come in from the outside into something that, you know, the fraternity party has uh, been going on for a while. And all of a sudden management says, hey, here's a new guy, then throws him in the bunker with you. And, you know, there's just uh, that kind of who is this outsider feel. An outsider was a spot-on definition for Rocco. 1999 assistant PD Jeff Catlin explains why he thinks Rocco didn't fit in well with the rest of the crew. He was brash, he was cocky, and he had the attitude of, I don't care, I don't need any of these people, I will succeed despite all of this. And he knows now, I'm sure, that's not the case. Here's Gordon on how they tried to have a little fun with Rocco. I I just remember that uh, the morning show, we would always bait him to come in there, come into the morning show, and by making a claim that he thought Molly Hatchett was a female singer and, you know, just silly stuff like that. So draw him off sides, get him to come in. I mean, he was pretty pleasant about that kind of stuff. But those pleasantries would soon turn ugly. Gordon Keith hosted a Saturday morning show called The Rant from 9 to noon in late March 1999. A phone call from Rocco to Gordo on The Rant 
would not only make waves at the ticket, but the entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. What happened in the days leading up to the call? Rocco Pendola tells us. I remember um, there was a Dallas Observer article published, which you probably touched on, uh, by Robert Wolanski. Maybe it came out on a Thursday, and I didn't know about it when it when it came out. But on a Thursday night, I got a couple of calls or emails from people saying, hey, you need to read this. So I did, and obviously it was upsetting. But I think I did the show the next day and, and sort of just referenced it a couple of times. I believe it was the Friday, the day before that he called the rant, that he walked out of his show early. He packed up and left with, let's say, 15, 20 minutes to go. So basically, he left his job. And then uh, Gordo was on the rant um, on the weekend, and he started talking about it. And when I heard him talking about it, that sort of fired me up to call, which um, probably wasn't the smartest move I ever made in my life. There were two things that upset me about his article, and that was the first one, that, that, that a guy could just write something like that that is totally untrue yeah, but that was, and, and not, even, not even check it with the, with the person who would know. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about the uh, the high school thing. Exactly. A guy who didn't graduate from high school thinks Monty Python is one man. That's, okay, that's, that part. That, that's completely that's untrue. Now, the other two things are shtick. Well, that, no, that's that's but, yeah, but the thing is, is that the article wasn't based on that. I'm not saying that, but that's part of the article. Someone reads that, and what do they walk away with? Well, I read it, so it must be true. And I wouldn't write something like that unless it was true. And you're saying that we were wrong in what we said as well about the high school thing, right? Yeah, Rocco, Rocco has clarified what I said. I thought that we had talked before and you'd said you'd gotten your GED and got out of high school no, a year I never, early. I never said that. I, I felt like I had no choice but to defend myself, but um, ultimately I think I was I was fighting a, a losing battle. Program Director Bruce Gilbert. I felt like uh, each of them had an agenda and uh, neither one of them was doing a, a very good job probably of uh, making that agenda entertaining because it was all about themselves and you know, not about the listener, which is what I always tried to focus on. It wasn't it wasn't one of the finer moments of ticket broadcast history, I would say. That's from a manager's perspective, clearly. Uh, if I take my manager's hat off, it was fascinating, engaging, and riveting, and you did not want to walk away from it because it was the audio equivalent of a train wreck. But the thing is, if Ryder thinks that the other four have to think it. You guys, the only thing you guys have ever gone against each other on is you, and you're involved in on the morning show or on the afternoon show, right. and how that was going to be split up. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the three musketeers, but it's five of you. If one of them thinks it, everyone thinks it. That's just the way that it is. I don't think that's true at all. You know, Ryder obviously doesn't like me, and a large part of the reason why he doesn't like me, I'm sure, is because Chuck Cooper's name was fired. No, I tell you, now, in all honesty, Rocco, the reason that anyone would not like you is a lot because of you. Well, why? When you come in and you tell people who we feel a certain sense of uh, trust and loyalty to, people who listened to the station and stuck with it when it was nothing, that you're going to come in and you'll pass gas on their face and they'll love you for it and they'll call you a genius for it in six months and all this kind of cocky stuff, that didn't rub people the right way. Well, that's not what I said. No, no, yes, you did say that. That day, I think Gordon, you know, he gets the nickname the fire starter for a reason. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he was leading Rocco along. And I think he was doing it, I don't want to say out of glee, but partly because he knew it was good radio and he knew he had a moment and he was going to do everything he could to capitalize on it. It was his intention was to get into uh, a debate and a discussion and have the opportunity just to air it out live. And it was sort of the part of the legend of the ticket, right? Pull back the curtain. Here's a guy on our staff 
that we aren't necessarily all in lockstep with, so let's just get it out there. Most things that are compelling have some huge conflict to them, and I knew that this was a big conflict, so I knew it must be hugely compelling if I was doing my calculations correctly. But I don't. I didn't feel like it was artificial. You know what? The, the fact is, when I go on the air, there are many people that probably do like me and think, you know what, nice guy. But unfortunately, over the past year and a half, every tiny little thing that, that, that someone like yourself has done and someone like Reiner has done mm-hmm. has, has created a perception that, oh my God, this guy is, is, is just a, a complete idiot. He's a moron. And you know what? He's a pretty bad guy to top it off. Because they don't like him. Because the clique doesn't like him. We don't like him either. Now, I've already said many times, I like you personally. I like working with you. I don't like it when you're doing a show by yourself. I don't think that's good. No, that's fine. That's your opinion. Right, that's my opinion. And, and, you, and you've totally gone overboard with this kind of, there's this big conspiracy against you. You know, this vast right-wing conspiracy to quote, quote Hillary Clinton. And that's just not there. I, I was really very nervous and uncomfortable at the time with everything that was going on. And quite honestly, I didn't know how to handle it. All, all I knew then was to go full steam ahead and be aggressive and, and, and try to defend myself and try to posture as, hey, I'm right, you guys are wrong, and you can't tell me any different. That, that, that was my attitude that day, and that was my attitude previous in, in the year and a half that I was on the air. You know, it wasn't any different from the way that I handled myself on any other, any other day. Uh, he cast the bait, and Rocco took it, and I thought Gordon reeled him in expertly, and that led to the on-air volatility and entertainment that we're analyzing today. Then, oh no, that, that's not, there's no conspiracy, we're not doing that. Then, then why all the bullcrap? Then why all the bullcrap leading up to it? Then, then why the way Ryan... Wait a second, you're saying that I've said that I want you out. No, you, you, you haven't said it, but geez, do you have to say it? Well, I, would, if I mean it, I would say it, yeah. Of listeners, do you have to say it? Do you have to say what? Do you that I want you out? Yeah, do you even have to say it? I just said, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here and saying, no, I don't want you out. Well, that's what, yes, that's what you're saying, but obviously your actions uh, do not support you. I, I would, I would personally like it if you would uh, be more like yourself on the air, but that's, you know, that's the taste issue. I know. No. You know, I, I just let the past year and a half speak for itself. And the stuff that, that well, the past done. year and a half, okay, so I make jokes about you. So we do Rocco Monkey. Gordo, it's, it's not just making jokes. Well, what is it then? Gordo, do you, know, you can't name what it is. You do? do you not listen back to stuff that you do? You pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it. Uh-huh. It gets to a point where it gets old and just old and tired and bored. So why, made, why do you keep pounding it? So it may be old to you, but when we say the Beatles and we laugh at it, that's not good enough. Oh, it's not good enough. It has to still be funny to you, Rocco, right? When I listen back to it, and I've listened back to it a few times over the years, I cringe and I think to myself, boy, that's, that was bad. You know, there, there's, sure, maybe I made a point or two, but largely I don't like the way that I came off. There, there's no doubt. This was the straw that broke the camel's back or the tipping point, and it just really hastened his exit. You know, there was no question that he'd, he'd done some things the wrong way. There was no question he wasn't coming back. His contract wasn't going to be renewed. And so whether he knew that or not, this episode on the rant just hastened that entire process. Rocco, thank you so much for coming on with us. A nice little chat. Hope we got something cleared up. This is a conversation that I was hoping we would have had off the air yeah. that night. But well, anyway. I don't know exactly what we accomplished. Well, I don't know. Maybe we didn't accomplish anything. Yeah. Maybe we didn't accomplish anything. And so we ought to feel good about that. Well, we know how each other feels. That we're good at wasting time. And everybody else knows. We burned, a se- we burned uh, two segments. We burned two segments. And uh, I've 
Maybe my position is Monday morning. Yeah, we'll probably get in trouble for it, but that's okay. Um, so you think I'm cocky and I don't think you're a hypocrite? What's that? So you think I'm cocky and, and I don't think that, uh, that you're a hypocrite? Yeah, they were accomplished something. <laughs> and as they both predicted, trouble was waiting for Rocco. That Monday when I went into work, uh, I actually did an appearance at 7-Eleven uh, just down the street from the old ticket studios on Maple Avenue. And I got to the station and Bruce said, you know, I, I want to see you, which wasn't a big shock. I went into an, his office and it looked like he had been sick, you know, like he, was, he had been physically sick because he knew what he had to do. It was just time, you know, there'd been the buildup. There was uh, a chemistry issue, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't working out well in the clubhouse to use a sports analogy, and it was you know time for for Rocco to move on and for us to figure out what we were going to do next. And Bruce's words to me right when I sat down were, "We can't keep going on like this." It was almost as if he was breaking up with me. Um, you know, as we were we were as, as we were boyfriend and boyfriend. There wasn't any pleading to keep my job. There wasn't any sort of um, you know saying, "Hey, I got screwed here." I mean, that at all, we'd all, we had rehashed that and gone over it a million times uh, in, in the year and a half prior to me actually getting let go. Uh, so the conversation was, was actually pretty quick. I don't think I was in his office for more than five minutes. There's writing on the wall, and people are smart, and they sort of understand that it's heading in a certain direction. And that was really the best decision for everybody. And, and all, I say that, and I don't mean it in a cavalier way, at the time it was a, a uh, gut-wrenching and excruciating thing to go through because it's not fun to ever have to do that to anybody regardless of the circumstances but it was time bob sturm it was shocking uh shocking news uh rocco like i said was probably the first ticket guy to sort of uh befriend me because uh he wasn't one of the musketeers and i wasn't one of the musketeers and it wasn't that they weren't friendly it was just simply that we were new guys and so new guys uh, flocked together a little bit uh, and, and maybe we would even air our grievances a little bit or our concerns. And uh, I guess I never thought that he would air them publicly, but he obviously uh, did, and uh, it changed uh, changed my game forever. Of course I regret it. Hell, I regret about 73% of the things I've done up here. He called in, and I put him on the air, and I, I probably shouldn't have. Um, I think Bob's quote was that I provided him the rope to hang himself with. You know, and I probably shouldn't have done that on the air. I should have said, hey, you know what? These conflicts run deep, Rocco. We'll talk about it some other time. Gone to break and then come back and done a lobster claw discussion. The firing of Rocco Pandola allowed Bob Sturm to move from nights to middays. And a couple months later, Dan McDowell was hired. And on June 14, 1999, Episode 1 of Bad Radio debuted on Sports Radio 1310 The Ticket. Tune in next month as we present another episode of 15 for 15, the events that shaped Bad Radio on The Ticket. There it is. My favorite part. There it is. You the wanted end. to know that? The end. See if it matches up. So, so Gordo, <laughs> Rocco saying, "Yeah, you make fun of me all the time." Uh, well, what? I, so we do, Rocco Monkey. I mean, <laughs> big deal. You know, ben Come shape, on. It's, it's, I'm not sure I remember Rocco Monkey. <laughs> it's, it's Rocco Monkey. Doing Rocco Monkey. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's you. It's on you here now. Well, nice job to those of you whose names were on the credits that just scrolled by on the screen. That is uh, that is good, strong. I know Donnie and uh, Jake and uh, especially uh, 
Well, not especially. I think your mom. Your was voice was it. clearly on it, and my, oh, mom, yeah. and my mom had a lot to do. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice job on that uh, fifteen for fifteen. It's two thirty-four live from Sneaky Pete's. Next.